Hello and welcome to Warwick Podcast. Today I'm joined by another of our honorary graduates and a leading figure in the science of climate change, Dr. Rajendra Pachari. Since 1981, Dr. Pachari has worked at the Energy and Resources Institute in New Delhi, one of the world's leading research establishments promoting sustainability and advising governments and corporate institutions around the world. Since 2002, Dr. Pachari has chaired the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC a UN panel set up to assess the current state of scientific knowledge on climate change, its causes and effects. The IPCC's fourth assessment report affirmed that most global warming over the past half century could be attributed to man-made increases in greenhouse gases, and in 2007, on behalf of the IPCC, Dr. Pichari received the Nobel Peace Prize alongside co-recipient, former US Vice President Al Gore. So, Dr. Pachari, um, first of all, congratulations on receiving your um, honorary doctorate. Um, what does this mean to you personally? Well, it's clearly something to be proud of. The University of Warwick is a very well-known university. It's uh, among the top ten in the country and perhaps uh, pretty high up worldwide. And uh, therefore, to be honoured by being given uh, an honorary doctorate is something that really has significance from, for me personally. So what was it that first stoked your interest in the environment? You know, I started my research career working on energy issues and naturally when you deal with energy and you take a full system-wide view of what its implications are, then you do get into the whole issue of impacts on the environment. And when I started getting into that, I read uh, a great deal on climate change and what's causing human-induced climate change. And I felt this is going to be one of the most serious problems the world is going to face. And uh, I just developed a deep interest in the subject and a conviction that I should devote my time uh, to this area of research. What role did your mother play in your work ethic as a child? You're very well known for your work ethic and apparently you put this down to your, your mother's influence. Well, it was both my parents, actually. My father was an academic. He got a PhD from University College London in psychology when uh, this was relatively unknown. And um, he always believed in uh, the value of knowledge and the fact that whatever we do should be driven by logic. And my mother had a deep influence. Uh, She was a person who had a very strong spirit, and someone who would never give up. And she felt that if you had convictions in some area, you just don't uh, walk away from them and you make sure that you live up to your convictions. And I suppose it's a combination of this sets of this two, these two influences that have perhaps had a profound effect in forming my character as well. So since 2001, you've led the Energy and Resources Institute, uh, one of the foremost research institutes in the world. How much of that involves working with universities such as Warwick? No, I've I've led uh, uh, the institute since 1982, actually. It's just that I was re-designated as Director General. Earlier I was called Director, but I've been the Chief Executive right from the beginning. And um, we've had a significant amount of interaction with universities and research organizations around the world. But I think that's being intensified much further simply because we've also established a university called the Terry University, which is a deemed university. And uh, 
I think in this day and age, uh, when problems even at the local level have implications globally, we need to ensure that we exchange knowledge, we develop joint programs and work together with institutions around the world. So I place a great deal of value on that and I hope we'll be able to work with uh, this university in the years to come. Um, you famously said, I'm not here to change the world, I can only change its level of knowledge. Who do you think the onus is on to actually implement change? I think it's ultimately um, in the hands of the people because uh, happily most countries today do have democracy, some form of functioning democracy and therefore the leadership in each of these countries would respond to what the people want and therefore I think it's critically important to not only create knowledge but to disseminate it on a large scale by which one can inform the public and create the level of awareness which would bring about political resolve. So I think ultimately it's really a question of uh, equipping people with the know-how and the awareness on what's likely to happen if we don't take, take action and what it is that we can achieve if we do take action. If we were to do that then I'm sure <clears throat> you'll find the right leaders emerging in every country of the world. And a good example of that is uh, the recent elections in the United States. I mean, President Obama has really come on the crest of a wave that wants to bring about change. And, you know, that's something which people have desired and have expressed themselves through the ballot box. Um, do you see with President Obama um, an opportunity to maybe redress the, the sort of intransigent position of America in the past few years towards climate change? Absolutely. I think this is a refreshing change. It's a moment of opportunity and I know it's not going to be easy for the new president, but uh, from all his statements, I think he's committed and uh, I think this is a unique opportunity to bring about change. Do you also see in the current economic downturn, do you see this as an opportunity to start again, so to speak, with a carbon-free economy and to implement change? Yes, I think the current economic downturn is a very serious problem, but it also presents a unique opportunity because it's obvious that we can't possibly do uh, what we've been doing in the past. Business as usual is out. And I think, therefore, when we're restructuring the economic system in every part of the world, we would necessarily have to seize opportunities by which we move towards a low-carbon economy. And an economy that's also more equitable, uh, is much more transparent in terms of the impacts it has on the environment, on the most underprivileged people in the world. So I think we have uh, an enormous responsibility to bring about change in a direction whereby we create a truly sustainable pattern of development. There's been a lot of discussion and debate regarding the uh, European Union's emissions trading scheme and how, how this scheme would affect competitiveness of business. Do you think, in light of climate change and global warming, surely this is secondary to actually tackling the problem? Well, my view is that the EU is a large enough entity to be able to set the agenda for a large part of the world. And I think if the EU uh, finds that as a result of the emissions trading scheme, uh, businesses and industries in this region are going to have to assume certain costs to bring about a low-carbon economic future, then this would also give them opportunities. And those 
countries that are lagging behind are the ones who would use uh, market share and market power. So I think the EU really shouldn't be concerned about uh, loss of competitive competitiveness uh, because I think it's a large enough market. It will also have access to the rest of the world, which would demand uh, low carbon products. You see, even in the US, despite the fact that the administration has really not uh, taken any position on bringing about reductions in emissions in the past, there are states in the in, in the in the US that have really taken proactive measures. And these are states where there would be a demand for low-carbon products. So it's not as though the EU is going to be at a disadvantage. But what would really make a difference, and I think this is something that has to be uh, ensured, that other developed countries also assume the same responsibility in reducing emissions of greenhouse gases. Because then you would be level leveling the playing field. Otherwise, you don't have a level playing field. Uh, and I think the EU should really uh, make itself heard in international fora, whereby they're able to bring about a shift on the part of those countries that have not yet accepted responsibility to reduce emissions. Do you believe then that um, some kind of rigid international framework is absolutely necessary for combating climate change? And do you think the EU could have a big role to play in that? Undoubtedly, I think we really need a strong multilateral agreement. There's uh, no getting away from the fact that the urgency of the situation requires agreement at the global level involving all the countries of the world and certainly clearly identifying the responsibility of the developed countries to take early steps and effective steps for bringing about change in the right direction. I think anything short of that would leave the whole... Uh, uh, area somewhat nebulous in terms of action and uh, and the follow-up of what needs to be done. You said earlier about how people in democracies are the ones who could most likely to affect change. Do you also think that in, in terms of a free market, consumers also have a massive role to play? Well, absolutely. I mean, I believe personally that it's not just technologies, it's not just products. I think lifestyle changes are going to be critically important in bringing about change. And this means people's values will have to change and they'll have to find expression in their preferences for buying products, in their preferences for certain actions. And you really need that kind of grassroots movement. But that's something which will only happen if there's growing awareness around the world. Because <clears throat> I think people are uh, sensible and responsible enough to bring about change if they realize that this is something that's essential for the good of the human race. Um, you said that people wouldn't be distracted by the economic downturn. Do you still stand by that or do you think there is a challenge in maintaining the momentum that's been built up over the past few years? Well, you know, uh, the, e the economic downturn, downturn is clearly a distraction. There's no getting away from that reality. but. I expect in the next few months when things start looking a little more certain and the future looks uh, a bit more predictable, I think that's when people will start uh, analyzing the fundamental problems that we have in our economic system. And that's where I think we'll institute policies and measures by which we move towards a green future. So I, I would say at best this is a temporary distraction. It's not something that's going to derail us from the path that we have, uh, we should be uh, 
adopting. Um, and what can people do on um, their own personal level to contribute to the fight against climate change? I think firstly we've got to be conscious of our carbon footprint. We must uh, build that into our thinking and ensure that all our actions, all our consumption is within the context of reducing our carbon footprint. And if we accept that and realize uh, the need for implementing actions in, in keeping with that objective, then you would ensure that you switch off lights when you go from one room to the other, that you change your incandescent lamps to compact fluorescent lamps, that we use public transport to the extent possible, that in space conditioning, heating and air conditioning, we make sure we keep temperatures at a level where we feel just a little bit of discomfort uh, and not uh, use energy excessively um, to create a level of comfort which I feel is unethically high and uh, which certainly would lead to an enormous amount of waste. So I think there's a whole range of things that we need to do. We need to walk much more, we need to bicycle. And I think if people realize that uh, this is uh, a problem that requires individual action, then I'm sure we'll find innovative ways by which we can take the right steps. Dr. Pachauri, thank you very much.